This and the breakdown of the outline of the book of Revelation are the things which are now that John was was seeing. These in chapter 1 we read this morning that this revelation was to be given to these seven churches. And you find in Revelation 2 and 3 the messages to seven churches. We read chapter 1 this morning, and the last part of that chapter, it tells us that that Jesus Christ was standing among the golden candlesticks. And then, often in the book of Revelation, you read something and you think, what does that mean? If you keep reading it, it often tells you. And then it says that he that was standing among the golden candlesticks was Jesus Christ. The candlesticks were the churches. So the seven churches um, were the seven golden candlesticks. And the angel of the churches was the minister of the churches. And, and so here you have the picture. Jesus Christ among the seven churches... And he's given these messages specifically to the seven churches. There's much that we can learn from this, but one thing you learn is, number one, the church is God's idea. It wasn't man's idea. God said, I will build my church. God holds in high esteem local churches. He's talking about local churches here. These seven churches were seven churches in specific cities, and and they had people just like you uh, gathering together, and and these were believers that God was addressing in in the needs that they have. Um, the church is in high esteem with with Christ. He gave his life for it. He identifies it as his bride, and um, nearly one half of the New Testament was directed to local churches. We live in a day today that people take a take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward church. I can walk with God um, and not be a part of a local church. You might have a relationship with God, but you're not obedient to him if a person has that. Because God identifies this. This is his program. Who he gave the message to carry the gospel to the world was, was to the church. And so his heart is for churches, local churches. And, and here he deals with all seven of these churches, and and he really he really gives a terrifying revelation to John, um, not to the unbelieving world at this time, but in these passages to the churches because he comes into them. He he says, "I know your works. I know what you do. I know this is what you do good." And and in five of the seven, he said, these are what you're doing bad. And this, I have a problem with this, he's saying. 
Well, that's a serious thing when Jesus Christ said, I have a problem with it. And tonight, I'm, I'm not going to go in and look in detail at each of these seven, but we're going to, we're going to look at the main thrust of these churches, five of them bad. What did God say was bad about them? And then two of them that he didn't have anything bad to say about them. And, and my reasoning for this is that we examine ourselves, that we examine individually ourselves, because the church is made up of individuals, but that we examine ourselves collectively. In these passages, he called for churches to repent. Now, I can remember when collectively and corporately Grace Baptist Church repented. When God burdened us to seek forgiveness from former leadership in the past of this church, and the church voted to send every former pastor a letter and seek forgiveness for not honoring their authority. Didn't mean they didn't have things wrong. And the church repented, and, and I believe with all my heart, God, God bless that. You don't hear of churches repenting much of anything. You don't hear of people repenting much of anything. But he is calling churches to repent, and it begins with we as individuals. And so we want to look at this, and, and we're just going to give main characteristics of these churches. And, and again, it's kind of from 30,000 feet. But we want to make... We pray that the Spirit makes personal application in our lives. The first church, and and it's the church at Ephesus, and I'm not going to go into all the history of any of that, but this church had the right message, but was cold and indifferent. They, they were orthodox in, meaning they had the right message. They were right on target doctrinally. But, but they were cold and indifferent. They had lost their first love. It wasn't redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It was, uh, they were cold and indifferent. They, they belonged to God. But he said, I have something against you. You have lost your first love. You have become indifferent and cold. We're not going to take these in order because I'm going to list the five bad ones first and then come back to the two good ones. Um, as you read through the book of Revelation, you can go in into more detail here. But the right message it is vitally important that you have the right message. But it is of equal importance that you have the right spirit. And there are many churches today that have the right message, but they don't, they don't have the right spirit. And, and they are, are sterile, they're, they're cold, they're, they're 
just kind of like robots going through the motion. And, and often they pride themselves and, and we can be the same way that, that we're true to God's word. Well, that's good. That's a starting point. But does God's word work out of our life? Is it still something that all that thrills my soul is Jesus? Is there still that, that, uh, adoration? We sang, be thou my vision. And it talked about the, the fire of God in our heart. The church at Ephesus, which had been a great church. You read about it in Acts chapter 20. Had been a great church. But now, John's message to him, this is at the end, God's message to him at the end of the first century. So, it hadn't even been 60 years. And he said, I know you, you, you have much to be commended, but he says, you've lost your first love. You're, you're right on doctrinally. But it, it isn't working from our head out of our life. The next one that we want to look at begins in verse 12. And this is the church at Pergamos. And he commended them and he said, I know where you dwell. You dwell where Satan's seat is. And a, a very difficult place. But in verse 14, I have... A few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idol, to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. And so he says, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So, this was a church that was double-minded. They, they loved God, but they also incorporated into their life some of the ways of the world. The doctrine of Balaam. They were, they were led astray. They, they were led into sexual immorality for greed. But there was God and the world. God and the world's ways. And they're double-minded in, in their ways. It compromises with the world. It's, it's very easy to do. It's very easy to Turn church into like a business. To what can we do to draw people? I I know what we could do to draw people. If we gave Corvettes to everybody that came to church, we'd have a church full, wouldn't we? There are many things that churches are doing today... To draw, for that whole purpose, to draw people. And they're using worldly means and they're double-minded. They're using the flesh and the spirit. 
Is it working? It depends what you call working. If drawing people is working, then it's working. But Jesus said, the message to the church at Pergamos, you're taking these worldly means and you're trying to do God's work in worldly means. And he says, you better repent or I'm going to come and fight against you. That is strong language. Let me just say, the purpose of the church is not to draw unbelievers to it. The purpose of the church is to teach and edify believers. The believers are to go out into the world and win the lost and then bring them to the church. It isn't, it isn't, it isn't making the church seeker friendly. It isn't to make it so it appeals to the world. And this is what the church at Pergamos. It is, we, we ought to be uh, manifesting the Spirit of Christ, but you can't do God's work with the world's means. God won't have any part of it. And first and foremost, we have to be true to the Word of God, and God's work done in God's ways will not lack God's supplies. But it is important that we understand this. This, this was a double-minded church. Verse 18, he then goes on and he addresses the church at Thyatira. And, and he said, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And he said, verse 19, as for your works, the last are more than the first. Then he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And he goes on and says, This is a church that tolerated sin. Here was a false teacher. They tolerated this false teacher to teach things, to lead people into sin. There was sin in the church, like 1 Corinthians, um, incest in the church. There was... Um, immorality, there was evil in the church, and they tolerated it. They just overlooked it. And he, he said, I'm, at, I'm calling you to repent. And, and he said, um, you have some good things. And again, we're, we're, we're not going into detail in each of these churches, but he said, there are good things that are happening here. But a little leaven, a little yeast affects the whole body. And by tolerating sin, he said, it eventually is going to affect the whole body. Do you know these churches, all, all seven of them, are in Asia Minor in the area of Turkey today. 
Christianity is, Turkey was once a stronghold of Christianity. Christianity is not a stronghold in Turkey today. And, and it's because they did not repent. And he says, he says, and you can look all throughout history. He brings warning to churches and churches, the great working of God, and then it cools off and churches become tolerant of sin and double-minded and cold and, and indifferent. And then God says, I take the candlestick out. So the church in, in Thyatira was a church that tolerated sin. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. A fourth church that we're looking at, the church at Sardis. And, and he says in this church that um, you have a name that is alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation of being a good church. But he said, when I visit you and I know you, there's no fruit, there's no life, there's no growth, there's no joy, nothing is happening. You understand that can easily happen in churches. And there are many, many churches today that that's the way it is. They have a reputation. They're always looking back. Wow, we used to be this, and we used to be this, and I can remember when this. They have a reputation, a history of life, but right now, dead. No life, no growth, no joy. It's, it's hypocrisy. We put on this veneer that we're alive but but we're hollow. There is no life. I really I really fear collectively that um, our nation has a reputation of life. But to look at our nation, what is the fruit that is producing? We we had on our property in our yard. Uh, several years ago, a big oak tree, but it got hollowed out, and and part of it blew down, and and we had to take the tree down. And when we cut that tree down, as big as it was around, there was just a little, about a two-inch wood around the outer part of the tree that that tree was still alive, and it looked alive. It was alive, but it was hollowed out completely. It was just a matter of time before it was dead. I think that is an analogy of what we have in America today. Morally, we are hollowed out. Spiritually, we are empty. And this church had a reputation but was dead. And, and there are many. Churches are dying. I don't even have the statistics, but it's mind-boggling the way churches are dying in our nation. And you go to Europe, 
Christianity was flourishing in Europe, and to, tonight the, the light barely flickers. And he said, you need to repent and, and do the first works again. And then he comes down to chapter 3 and verse 14, writing to the messenger, the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. In verse 14, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love and I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me, on my throne, and I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. This is a proud church. We are rich. We are increased in goods. We don't have need of anything. And God says, you, you are completely misled you don't realize you are poor and wretched and blind and miserable and naked. You don't understand what you are. It is easy to become proud and think, we're okay, we're good. And he says, you need to repent, he told the church at Laodicea. They were lukewarm, they weren't cold or hot, and God says, it, it's nauseating to me, i, I vomit you out of my mouth. And and in realizing this, it's easy for us to think we're something that we're not. And that's where we must get God's view of us. And God's view of this church was 180 degrees from what they viewed things. So this was a proud church. And, and God said to them, I I'm be zealous and repent. And God resists the proud, James tells us. And he gives grace to the humble. This is a church that God is outside of it. And he's knocking and he says, if you will open to me, if you will humble yourself, I will come in. I will have fellowship with you. This this is God knocking to get into his own church. What a, what a sad condition. We use this to, to say God's knocking on the heart of a person, but the context is God's outside of his own church. We don't have need of you. We're, we're good. 
Everything's going along fine. And God says, repent. Now, those are the five bad. They had the right message, but cold and indifferent. They were double-minded. The third one tolerated sin. The fourth one had no life, just dead. And the fifth one was proud. You know, every one of us needs to examine our own hearts. And there's, there's times that in our lives we have become all of those at some time or another. And as a church, we need to examine our hearts. And we need to come back to God. But the two good ones, in chapter 2 and verse 8, the angel of the church of Smyrna, the messenger, the leader of the church, he said, verse 9, I know your works and tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. Notice the difference. Laodicea said, we're rich, we're increased in good. This church, he wrote to them, he said, I know the tribulation you're in. I know your poverty. They had nothing because of persecution. But Jesus Christ said to him, but you really are rich, rich in him. And he went on and said, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. This is a persecuted church that was pure. He didn't rebuke them with anything. And, and oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes persecution has a purifying effect on the church. Because they come to see all that matters is Jesus Christ. And, and anything else, let it go. And it has a purifying effect. And, and they endured the persecution. And they allowed it to purify them. So this was a persecuted but pure church. God desires purity of heart. And the difficulties that come in life God uses to purify us. Turn to chapter 3 and verse 7. This is the angel of the church of Philadelphia. And he says, verse 7 of chapter 3, These things says he who is holy and he who is true. You will notice as you read through the book of Revelation, the holiness of God keeps coming out. The 24 elders that are around the throne are saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Here again, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one's open. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, 
but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from God, and I will write on him my new name. Notice what he says. You're, you're in the midst of tribulation and trial, not talking the great tribulation. He's, he's talking the persecution. And, and he says, but you have stayed true to my word. I have opened doors for you. And you are going through those open doors. You are a faithful church. And he urges them, continue to be faithful. Let no man take your reward. And he says, he that overcomes, I will reward him abundantly. They stayed true to God. They, they didn't waver in their faith. And they went through open doors that God gives them. I believe God gives open doors of ministry and missions for us. That's why I believe one of the, the great important aspects of the ministry of this church is the missions ministry. And as we have the opportunity to, to be involved in that, that's going through open doors that God gives. And it is important for us to remain faithful and fervent in our love to God. In, in realizing this is, I mean, the blessing that we have, that we are able to, to have the candlestick here, so to speak, to be able to have an assembly here. But it's up to each and every one of us here to keep the spirit right, to keep the heart for God to, to not become um, double-minded and worldly in our ways and manners, to be faithful to God and, and to pursue a pure heart. And you notice in this when he was urging them to be faithful, he said, Behold, I come quickly. Again, we say it often, and I say it because I need it. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus. Is it a battle now? It absolutely is. Do you get weary in it? Absolutely. Are there temptations and, and it gets discouraging doing what God wants in God's ways? Absolutely. But he says, hold fast that which I've given you. And he says... Redo the first works. Restore your first love. Don't get cold and indifferent. Don't allow just deadness and contentment. Well, good enough. I'm just coasting my way out. No, we don't want to coast our way out. We want to, we want to go out 
fighting and screaming. You know what I'm saying? We want to go out battling for the Lord. And it will be worth it all. I think it's fascinating that of these seven churches, two of them he commended without a rebuke. The others he commended, but he rebuked them. What would he say to you individually? I know your works. I know where you work. And it's not a good atmosphere. And I understand that. The one church, he said, I know where you live. It's Satan's seat. Wow, that'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? God knows where you work. He knows what situations you're in. And he says, I want you to be fervently in love with me and passionately serving me and faithfully clinging to the truths of God's word. Not sacrificing God's way for the world's way. Because all that matters is God. Heavenly Father, we sometimes pray, Lord, cause us to be the type of church you want us to be. And I know that begins, first of all, in individual repentance. And I pray that you would use this tonight to cause us to examine our own lives. Lord, it's so easy for our heart to go to grow cold and indifferent. It's so easy for us to try to serve two masters to try to do your work in man's ways. Lord, it's so easy for us to tolerate sin in our own life, to overlook it, to excuse it, to rationalize it. It's so easy to get where we have no evidences of life. And then even at the same time to be proud, we're better than those others. Lord, help us to see how desperately we need you. Help us to have a renewed love for you. And Lord, help us to be a bright, shining candlestick in this area where you have placed us. Lord, I pray as we've sung earlier tonight, may you find us faithful. And Lord, may we truly have a passion for you. We pray in Jesus' name.